um, you know, today is the Super Bowl, just in case you didn't know. Um, every uh, Super Bowl, I, I, I have a sort of a picture in my mind, and that's because um, when I was serving at a church in Philadelphia, uh, we used to have these, I think monthly, we called it worship and praise time, and it happened Sunday evenings around 6 to 8. So just lengthy prayer, worship, and some prayer uh, time. And I remember one year, that time fell on the Super Bowl. And so the church leadership got together and kind of talked about, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. What should we do? Should we cancel or should we, you know, and after a debate, I still remember our sort of senior pastor, his name was Paul. He kind of got, got up in the front and he said something like, uh, there, today, there are millions of people who are going to cheer for their teams. So today, it's, it's the Eagles and the Chiefs, right? They're going to they're gonna cheer. They're going to scream. They're going to throw parties. And then he said something like, but today, as God's people, we're going to gather and worship and pray. We're not going to cancel. Um, I don't know. I just, that, that just stuck in my mind. And so uh, every Super Bowl, uh, I just uh, come and not only do I want to watch the game, but I want to be focused on God's worship and, and prayer. So anyways, I'm not sure exactly why I'm sharing that story, but uh, I just felt like it was relevant. Please open your Bibles or devices to uh, Mark chapter 10. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, the second half. And uh, today actually is, I think it's a pretty crucial section in, in Mark. We'll look at Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 um, it's crucial because this ends this whole section of, of Jesus talking about discipleship. This section started by Jesus calling his disciples to lay down their life, pick up their cross, and follow him. Um, and after chapter 10, chapter 11 through chapter 16 is actually Jesus getting to Jerusalem, and it's the last week of his life on earth. And so we'll look at that section during Lent in two weeks. But here we pause because it ends this section about discipleship. And so let's read this together, Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, uh, excuse me, and, uh, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. We'll stop there. So, as you know, this section started with Jesus calling for people to follow him. Uh, but no one does. Not his, not his 12 disciples, not the crowd, not the religious leaders. No one follows him. No one heeds Jesus' call until this point, until this blind man named 
Bartimaeus begins to follow him. We know that because the section starts out talking about Bartimaeus sitting on the roadside, by the roadside. At the end of the section, after healing, it says that he began to follow Jesus on the way. On the way to where? To what? Well, on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross. Here is someone who actually heard Jesus' call and begins to follow him. In other words, Bartimaeus, out of all the people that we've seen in chapter 8, 9, and 10, he is the true disciple. He's the true disciple. He is the model that's, that's placed before us. And I think this is important because oftentimes we think about disciples or discipleship or people who follow Jesus well. We might have certain types of people, right? Maybe it's people who are um, not good people, people who have life together, people who attend church regularly. Maybe they even have a position in the church, like a pastor or a leader. But that's not who Bartimaeus is. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. He has nothing to offer. But it's Bartimaeus that begins to follow Jesus. And he shows us what discipleship is about. And so we're going to look at Bartimaeus and learn three things about discipleship. So let me just tell you these three things, and then we'll, we'll talk about them. One, um, Bartimaeus had spiritual poverty. Number two, he had spiritual clarity. And then number three, he had persevering longevity. All right, so poverty. Um, when we look at Bartimaeus' life here, um, he recognizes his own spiritual poverty. Now, I think what Mark's trying to do is he's trying to compare Bartimaeus with or against the 12 disciples, the religious leaders, even the young rich ruler who came right before this passage. So two weeks ago, we, we looked at him. There was a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus with a question, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? How can I gain, uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, he says, well, what does the Bible say? What does the command, follow the commandments? And he says, Jesus, I, I've kept all of these commandments. And then Jesus looks at him, and he, he loved him, the passage says. And he says, well, you like one thing. He says, go sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Having hear, uh, hearing this from Jesus, he, uh, this young rich ruler, goes away sad because he had great possessions. Um, what is that passage about? And we talked about this. There was one thing that this rich person lacked, and that was his awareness. He, he didn't recognize uh, his desperate need for God. Right? All the wealth and status and morality, popularity, all the, all the stuff, good things, um, had caused him to be callous towards God's grace and God's mercy. Whereas Bartimaeus here, he knows. He's a poor, uh, blind beggar. Most likely, we could, presumably, he's begging for food here. But he recognizes how poor he is. And out of this sense of poverty, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Friends, that's actually, that's where our relationship with God starts. It doesn't start by us trying to do something for God. No, actually, it starts by us recognizing that there's something that God can and desires to do for us. There's no, no matter how much 
good works we do, no matter how wealthy we get or what kind of position we attain, those things don't get us to life with God. The way we enter into life with God is recognizing how broken, how poor we are inside. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, we are introduced to a man named Naaman. And the Bible says that he was a great man. He was a commander of an army. And it says he, he was a mighty man of valor. So how does someone like him find God? How does he recognize the sense of poverty that's in his heart? Right? Because this person has it all. He has reputation. He's achieved significant things. He, he has good character, morality. How does someone like him actually recognize or begin to recognize that he really needs God? It's humanly speaking, it's impossible. And that's what Jesus told the rich young ruler, right? Um, or to the disciples. It, it's almost impo- it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So for someone like Naaman, it's, it's almost impossible. But when you follow his story, it also says that he had leprosy. Now, humanly speaking, when you look at, you read his story, you go, oh, gosh, that's, that's a tragedy. This great person who achieved many things has leprosy. But in the eyes of God, in the story of his story, leprosy in his life begins his journey towards God. He recognizes that there is something that he is lacking. It opens his heart to what God might have for us. And so, friends, I think that's important for us to recognize. Some of us might be here because there are problems and troubles and trials in your life. And you might be here wanting some kind of relief or some kind of comfort, some kind of encouragement. You're here because you want some kind of answer. Um, Let me just say, sometimes it takes leprosy. Now, I don't want to minimize anyone's pain at all because pain and trials in this life is painful, it's hard, it's difficult. And so we're not minimizing, I'm not minimizing anything that you might be going through. But I think when we go through hardships in life, it opens a door for us to step through and recognize and acknowledge before God we don't have it all together, even with our education, even with our position, even with our success, we don't have it all. And sometimes it does take leprosy. And so the hardships that you might be facing today, perhaps it's an opportunity for you to say, God, I don't have it all together. Because if your life was perfect, you would not recognize the, the your, your desperate need for God's grace and God's mercy in your life. Now, I think here is what's really interesting about um, recognizing our poverty, spiritual poverty, our weakness, our even, we could say, our sinfulness. It doesn't just happen when we begin our walk with God. It continues through our journey with Him. Um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, he preached the gospel to the nations. He, towards the end of his life, he says something like this. He says, um, I am uh, the worst of all sinners. I just kind of think about that. So what is he saying? He's saying, 
at the end of his life, he's writing to his disciple Timothy. He's saying, I know that I am one of the worst sinners, chief of sinners. He's not being modest. He actually recognizes how broken and weak and sinful he is. That's what happens when we walk with God. When we walk with God, we recognize. Not that we become more sinful, but we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize the depth of our brokenness. So how do you deal with that right? in our journey? How do we deal with that? Well, Paul doesn't hide it. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't cover it up. No, you know what he does? He leans into God's mercy and God's grace. He says things like, but God's grace abounds in my life, right? So all of our Christian life journey, there's a sense where we recognize our poverty and that recognition grows. The closer we get to Christ, the longer we walk with Him, the deeper we, we recognize the depth of our, our fallenness. But it also ought to push us so that we lean on God's mercy and grace that much more. So discipleship then is about, Bartimaeus is a good uh, a model for us, is recognizing the deep spiritual poverty that we have. And it, we ought to recognize and see it more clearly as we grow closer to Jesus. And that ought to push us more towards grace. And so our character grows because as we realize our, our sinfulness, as we realize God's grace for us, we become people who are humble, become people who are thankful, and we become people who are bold because it's not about us. It's about God's grace. That's why, I mean, to be honest, like I look forward to our times here because I'm just so thankful to like, be part of our church community, get to teach God's word, worship, pray, take communion. So thankful. It's, like, it's, it's a growth that happens because we are people of grace. So first thing, again, Bartimaeus teaches us, shows us, that discipleship is about recognizing our spiritual poverty. And it's a good thing that we recognize it. If you don't recognize it, there's a problem. Right, number two, he also had spiritual clarity. So, so Jesus is passing by, and Bartimaeus gets, uh, uh, shouts, right? He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that title, son of David, comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God shows up to David, and he promises David that, that he will raise up a descendant of David who will establish God's kingdom forever. So when Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he's recognizing who Jesus is. And again, it's, we're supposed to kind of see Bartimaeus and compare his faith to the 12 disciples. But Jesus again and again talks about his suffering, his, his purpose in life. Just this past, um, the passage before this section, Jesus said, my life, I, I came as a ransom for many. He talks about his, his mission, talks about what it means to follow him, but the disciples don't get it, right? They, they, they ask Jesus uh, questions that's just not right. So, you know, when, when Bartimaeus comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, 
What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Well, that's the exact same question that Jesus asked his disciples, John and James. John and James hears this question, and they say, Jesus, we want you to have us sit at your right hand and your left hand. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. And they don't get it. Even though they are so close, even though they see Jesus' miracles, even though they hear Jesus' teachings, they don't get it. They don't understand. But Bartimaeus, ironically, though he's blind, he has this spiritual insight into who Jesus is. He says, Jesus, son of David, Messiah, one who's going to restore, establish God's kingdom who's going to restore all the, all the brokenness. Jesus, have mercy on me. Spiritual clarity. That's important because if we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know who he is and what he's about. And so I thought about, um, how, did, how did Bartimaeus get this insight? And the passage doesn't tell us, actually, and, and I don't know. I, I, I wish I could say, this is how he got it, but we, we, we don't know. I, I think, and this is just my... Um, I guess, I think him being blind, I think must have, ha- must have caused you know, deeper reflection, um, just deeper longing. And so I think the, the, the challenge, challenge for us today is, yeah, how can we have spiritual clarity? How can we see things clearly? Um, here are just some suggestions. These are not comprehensive lists, but one, we pray. Um, oftentimes, you know, the Apostle Paul would say things like, I pray for you, church, that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened or opened so that you will see all that God has for you. That's like Ephesians chapter 1. And then in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I pray that you will know, like you will see, you will taste how deep how high, how wide the love of Christ is for you. What is he praying? He's praying that they would truly see, truly taste, that their eyes will be open so that they can see the things that God has for them. Well, how do we get that? We get, again, it's not a, a simple answer, but we get it through like praying, seeking God. God, here I am. Help me to, help me to see. And we see this in Jesus' life, right? He would often withdraw by himself to a solitary place. And there he would spend time with God in reflection, prayer, and meditation. He's just there with God. And once he comes out of that times of prayer, he would choose where to go next, or he would choose his 12 disciples because he had a sense of clarity. So there's prayer, spending time with God, and that's how we get clarity, spiritual clarity. And that's, we need that if we're going to follow Christ well. Another, another way that we get spiritual insight or clarity is through God's Word. Well, when we open God's Word, Scripture shows us Jesus. Every, every page rustles with um, who Jesus is. Uh, in in uh, Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, Your Word is the lamp unto my feet, um, light to my path. What is he saying? He's saying, Your Word guides me. Your Word gives me clarity. Spiritual insight. Another thing that I want to say is community. We get insight and we get spiritual clarity by being with other people. And, and I've said this often, I think, that we're limited on our own. We, we just are. We, we don't know. So we need other people. 
to show us, to tell us, to pray with us, to remind us, even sometimes to rebuke us, speak truth in love, so that we can see clearly, we can see uh, what God might have for us. Lastly, again, I'm sure there are many more, more things that we could do to gain spiritual clarity, but last thing, worship, like corporate worship together like this helps us, doesn't it? Because we then we get reminded of, oh, this is what, who, who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus accomplished for me. This is what God has for me today or this week or this month. This is what God says in his word. So we get spiritual clarity as we worship together. So this is important. I've been wearing my glasses for a long time. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, it, it always... Um, it surprises me every time I switch my prescription, you know, because I think I see okay. And I see okay, and I get these, you know, emails or, you know, emails, hey, it's time to get another checkup. And I usually ignore them until, like, I really can't see, and, or I can't, it's, it's hard to uh, drive at nighttime. That's just my age, you know. And so, you guys, some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Um, anyways, but, you know, I, I go in, get a checkup, get a new prescription, and put my new glasses on. Go, whoa, whoa, it's so different. It's so, it's so much more clear. That's what we need. We need spiritual clarity. Too many of us live in this fuzziness. You know, we, we kind of think this is what God has for us, or we kind of think this is what the Bible says. You know, we kind of, no, Jesus, Bartimaeus was clear in who he, he knew that Jesus was the son of David, Messiah. That's what we need. We need spiritual clarity. That's what discipleship is, because we want to follow him. And lastly, there is preserving a persevering, excuse me, persevering longevity. And I really like this. I like this. I think this is why I like Bartimaeus here. Blind, poor beggar sitting on the roadside. Um, Jesus comes. He hears that Jesus is here. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then what happens? The crowd, they all look, they look at him and they tell him to be quiet. Um, and I think he could have had many reasons for to stop. It's just harder to get up. It's harder to cry out. It's harder to take the next step. There are people yelling at him. Um, Jesus is not stopping. Many reasons f- for him to stop. But he doesn't stop. The passage says he cried out all the more. And I think we could imagine Bartimaeus crying out again and again and again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, that's a cry of desperation. And then Jesus stands still. He stops and he heals him. What do we learn about discipleship from this section here from Bartimaeus is he persevered even when things got hard. In all the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Bartimaeus is the only person who has a name who received the healing from Jesus. Only person. Every other people who received healing are just called 
crippled beggar or blind person, a woman who was bleeding for 12 years, uh, Jairus' daughter, no, no name except for Bartimaeus. Then the question is, why is that? Why does he, why does he get a name? I think the best, most plausible explanation is this. Bartimaeus believed and followed Jesus to the end because when Mark was writing the gospel, he knew who Bartimaeus was. Like he believed, he followed Jesus on the road to the cross, to Jerusalem, became a true disciple and followed him to the end. And that's why his name was known. Because as Mark is writing, recording the Gospels, he knows who Bartimaeus is. He knows the disciple named Bartimaeus. And this is how the ancient documents were written. So that as the original readers read the Gospel of Mark, they could go to Bartimaeus and talk about the miracle that he, he, he uh, experienced. Bartimaeus persevered in his discipleship. And I think that's huge. Some of you here have been following Jesus for what, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? We need to commend you because following Jesus is not easy. It's, it's here, I mean, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, lay down your life, pick up your cross, and follow me. When, when Bartimaeus, when the Gospel of Mark says at the end, he followed Jesus on the way. What Mark is telling us is Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way to the cross. Following Jesus is hard, but Bartimaeus persevered. Longevity. So those of you who've been following Jesus, we commend you because following Jesus is not easy. There are many ups and downs, many turns. Um, you know, I think many of us can kind of think about people who dropped out in following Jesus because it became maybe too uncomfortable. Maybe they needed to sacrifice something. Uh, maybe they became cynical because they said, you know, I tried church, but it's, it doesn't work. It's not for me. Um, Remember, Jesus doesn't promise us, he doesn't promise us happiness, not necessarily. He doesn't promise us easy life, not necessarily. You know what he does promise us? He promises us life with him. He, that's what he promises us. He says, follow me, be with me. And because he is so good, because he's so kind, because he's so beautiful and loving, because he gave his life for us, because he's so precious, we follow him. And whatever else happens in life, it's up to him. We, we, our eyes are focused on him as we follow him. So Bartimaeus persevering longevity. That's what discipleship is about. Um, let me end, by, uh, end our time by this, asking you this question. What is today, what is keeping you just sitting on the roadside rather than following him on his way? Yeah, what's, what's keeping you just 
on the side of the road? Is it um, hard circumstances in life? Maybe some of us are saying, when things get easier, maybe I'll begin to be more serious about God. Is it other people? Like Bartimaeus, people did not encourage him. Maybe you have people in your life just, man, they're just bringing discouragement. Maybe is it comfort? Ironically, I think for Bartimaeus, um, even though he was blind beggar, I think it took more courage for him to stand up and cry out to Jesus. It would have been much easier for him to just keep sitting on the side of the road because that's the life that he knew. But friends, if that's you, Jesus has something much better. If you're living like a beggar, he's calling you to follow him like sons and daughters. He has something much bigger, better for you. Remember, his call is, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he says this, right? For, any, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. We lose our life as we follow him, so that we can have life. And let's uh, pray, uh, and uh, we'll close our time. I'm going to ask our worship team to um, just come, and um, I just want to, I want to give us uh, a moment here to just think about your walk with God, walk with Christ, your discipleship. Um, how is that going? 